Well, church family, I'm excited to be with you yet again in the book of Matthew as we're nearing the finish line, wrapping up chapter 26, as we enter into some of the most powerful, most impactful scenes in all of the Bible. But as we get started this morning, as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about several sobering statements that I've heard throughout my life. But I was quickly reminded of one statement that probably stands out above the others, and it's this. Your reputation takes a lifetime to build, but only seconds to destroy. Let me say that again. Your reputation takes a lifetime to build, but only seconds to destroy. And if you're sitting in this room this morning, you know someone who personifies that statement. Whether it's a politician, an actor, an athlete, a musician, unfortunately a pastor, maybe your mother, your father, one of your children, or maybe even yourself. You see, in one brief defining moment, your life can be changed forever. And this morning, we're going to witness a defining moment for one of Jesus' disciples, none other than Simon Peter. And it will be a moment that reveals not the boldness of Peter, not the brashness of Peter, but rather the brokenness of Peter. But even in the midst of Peter's brokenness, we catch a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus. And in our text this morning, we're going to see a very powerful statement about us and about our Savior. The main idea this morning from Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75 is simple. And it's this, and it's on the screen for you to see. The brokenness of Peter leads us to behold the beauty of Jesus. The brokenness of Peter leads us to behold the beauty of Jesus. I'm going to look at four scenes, four statements, four different things in the life of Peter this morning that I think is going to capture this main idea. And the first thing that I think is most important for us to look at before we get started is this, is for us to look at Peter's background, for us to have a, a refresher, for us to get caught up on who is this disciple, who is this man, Peter. We could go in great detail, but I'll spare you those details. I want to look at just a couple of things for us as we look at Peter this morning. The very first time that we see Peter in the book of Matthews in chapter 4, verse 18, when Peter is called by Jesus to come, lay down your nets, and follow me, for I will make you a fisher of man. And man, that call begins quite the life and quite the three years 
for Peter. As Peter follows Jesus, he gets to experience a number of things. He gets to have his mother-in-law healed. That's the very first thing that we see in Peter's life immediately following the Sermon of the Mount. In chapter 10, Peter and the other disciples were given authority to cast out demons and to heal. A couple chapters later, Jesus allows Peter to walk on water and then to sink into the water. Jesus also allows Peter to be part of the transfiguration for him to see who he truly is, along with Elijah and Moses. And along the way, there were many miracles and healings and feedings. But one of the most impactful moments in the life of Peter happened in Matthew chapter 16. Remember the moment where Jesus is with his disciples and he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they give answers. Elijah, a prophet, John the Baptist. But Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter, always quick to speak, says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. To which Jesus says, you could not speak that unless the Father has given that to you. Peter was far from perfect, however. As it is often said, Peter had a foot-shaped mouth. He was quick to speak and quick to act, and this often got him caught in the crosshairs of Jesus' rebuke. But as Jesus approached Jerusalem and his time drew near, his conversations with Peter became even more weighty. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw another interaction between Peter and Jesus. And this interaction that happened in the middle of chapter 26 is really important for our understanding of what is to happen at the end of chapter 26. And so I want to bring us back there. This, cap, this conversation happens just hours before the event that we'll be discussing this morning, and it's Jesus' prophecy the last time he was with his disciples. Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35 says this, And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Here's Peter. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But here's Peter again. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. From this conversation, Jesus and the disciples go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is later betrayed by one of his disciples and arrested. And after the arrest of Jesus in the garden, after Peter has cut off the ear of the temple guard, Peter follows Jesus from a distance to be at the trial. And this leads us to where we will be this morning. 
Peter's defining moment. Will Peter keep his word? Or will Jesus yet again prove to be right? And that brings us to our text this morning. I'm so thankful that my brother Zane read it for us. And this leads us to the second thing that we'll look at. We looked at Peter's background, got us caught up, and now we will look at Peter's denial. Matthew essentially picks up where he left off in verse 58 as he was talking about Jesus' trial and now backtracks to the same moment in time, yet Peter is looking on to the trial in verse 69. The courtyard where Peter's standing is just outside the house of the high priest where Jesus' trial is taking place. You can literally see and hear all that is happening. Other accounts from the other Gospels tell us that Peter was warming himself by the fire, trying to stay warm and trying to eavesdrop on what's happening in the house. It's at this moment when the first servant girl approaches Peter, and she makes a simple statement that would be hard to refute. Haven't we seen you with this Jesus, the Galilean? After all, it isn't as if Jesus was not known in the land. Over these past three years, Jesus had been doing a number of things with the healing and the teaching and the miracles and the, the confrontations with the religious leaders. He had great popularity and a large following during his ministry. And Peter was likely his right-hand man during this time. Therefore, Peter should be very recognizable. Luke's account even mentions that the girl looks closely at Peter, waiting to make eye contact with him before she speaks. It's almost as if she wants to confirm her suspicions before making such a bold statement. But Peter denies the accusation and immediately distances himself from the courtyard. And so just imagine Peter moving away from the house, away from the fire to the entrance to this courtyard. And after settling by this entrance, another servant girl approaches him. And this time, however, she accuses him in the presence of many witnesses. Why is this significant? Well, in Deuteronomy... We see this law about accusations. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And so this servant girl's accusation was more like, surely I'm not the only one who recognizes this man as one of Jesus' disciples. But as the accusation intensifies, so does Peter's denial. His denial is coupled with an oath, which in itself is ironic for what Jesus had previously stated about oaths. Yes, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus states simply, don't be concerned about oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But Jesus goes even further in Matthew 23 to condemn the Pharisees for their very oath making. 
Yet Peter here is seen doing the very thing Jesus denounces in his denial of Jesus. And then with the last three verses, we see the account come to a close. It's probably been an hour or so since his second denial when all of a sudden the bystanders gather. They surround Peter. And their accusation seems inescapable. We've seen you with him. And not only have we seen you, you're clearly a Galilean. How can you not be with this man? Peter being even further away from Jesus and even further into the darkness responds emphatically. He invokes a solemn curse on himself to further demonstrate that he is not lying. And now, I don't want us to think that he uh, cusses or, or says a dirty word. No, this is more than likely exactly what Peter did. God is my witness. I do not know this man. And immediately, the rooster crows. And what's interesting is that Luke's account says that as soon as the rooster crows, Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. Could you imagine that moment? Could you imagine the weight of it? The weight of Peter who was so confident, who was so sure in his strength that Jesus, nothing will ever prevent me from following you, even if I follow you to death. And with the crow of the rooster, Peter breaks down. The scripture tells us that he wept bitterly, and that word that is used there is used to describe crying nowhere else in scripture. Peter was broken, and he was to the point of utter despair. As one pastor says, he who thought he could stand has fallen terribly. You know, we were talking about this passage earlier this week in the office, and it's really interesting as you observe the text and you see the different progressions, the different intensifications that are happening throughout this. Think about the way that Peter moves from the light of the fire in the courtyard to the outer darkness of the gateway. Peter's own denial only intensifies as the accusers increase in number with each confrontation. Yet even though Peter is surrounded by accusers, even though Peter is located in the outer darkness of the gateway, even though Peter is engulfed with fear and with denial, Jesus still sees him. As this account ends, the book of Matthew, interestingly enough, never mentions Peter again. We never hear anything more about Peter, the book of Matthew. And so as we come to this passage, as we come to this text, we must ask the question, what in the world are we supposed to do with Peter's denial? What's Matthew's purpose in preserving this devastating event? I'm afraid there's often a 
moralistic temptation to approaching this text as if God's way of showing us how we're not to be like Peter. Seven steps of being a disciple who's better than Peter. But I believe this morning that God wants us to see a sobering truth in this text. That we are Peter. That if given the opportunity, we would have done the same thing. And in our self-confidence, in our pride, our weakness would have taken over and we would have failed. And so this morning, as we move from Peter's background to Peter's denial, I want us to look closely at Peter's brokenness to see what it teaches us about ourselves, like looking into a mirror. What was Peter's problem? What led to his denial? Well, I've alluded to it, but now I want to make it clear. First, Peter was filled with self-confidence, something Peter was never, ever lacking. You see, he was overconfident in his ability to follow Christ to the death. Do you remember how Peter responded to Jesus when he told him that he would deny him three times? You just hear it ringing out in Peter's ears. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Jesus. Peter believed in himself And Peter believed in his own strength. And I don't want this to be a a time where we disparage Peter. You You have to give it to him. When Peter was arrested, everybody scattered except Peter. Peter alone followed Jesus to the trial. But even Peter's self confidence. Even Peter's pride led to his destruction. And as the proverb says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, this is the danger with self-confidence. It blocks us from truly understanding our own shortcomings. Peter was blinded by his pride and it prevented him from seeing the other key issues that led to his denial is that Peter was incredibly weak. Remember what Jesus said to Peter when he found him sleeping in the garden? Matthew 26, verses 40 through 41. And when Jesus came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation The spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. Peter was willing to do anything it took to stay with Jesus, but he had no idea, he had no concept of how weak he truly was. You know, I believe one of the reasons that that Peter was not praying was because he thought he was strong enough to stay by Jesus. Lord, I know you've asked us to pray. I know you've called us to pray. But hey, I've got this. If everybody else turns, it won't be me. Yet we see where Peter ends up. 
his weakness was magnified when the accusers came and he was all by himself. It was during his time of weakness that Peter denied Jesus. Here's something I want us to catch. In his great pride and his great self-confidence, he underestimated his great weakness. And in his great weakness, he underestimated how great his fall would be. Brothers and sisters, as we examine Peter's brokenness, we must realize that we are no different than Peter himself. We are prone to thinking too highly of ourselves, aren't we? We think we know enough. We think we are strong enough. We think we are experienced enough. And as sin crouches at the door, we leave ourselves vulnerable to destruction. In our self-confidence, we believe that we have enough to overcome temptation on our own. We buy into the lie that all we have to do is pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can keep fighting. Here's a sobering reality that the text teaches us this morning. You can't. I can't. We're not strong enough. We do not possess the power to do this. We're weak and prone to falling into temptation. And you might be wondering, Corey, where do you see this? Well, the evidence is all around us. The state of our marriages, our bank accounts, our browsing history, our waistline, our calendars, state of our nation. Peter's denial magnifies our own brokenness, our own self-confidence, our own weakness. And we've all been where Peter found himself that night. Broken over our own sinfulness and feeling a sense of despair. We just want to run away, not be seen by others. You've either been there, you're currently there. I can promise you, you will be there. And if that's you, and that is all of us, I've got good news. Peter's story doesn't end there. It doesn't. It doesn't end with his denial. It might end that way in Matthew, but we can see how the story finishes in the Gospel of John. We see Peter's background, we see his denial, we see his brokenness, but then finally we see Peter's restoration. And for this, we have to go to John's Gospel, chapter 21. There's a lot that I want to say about it, but I want to be also brief. We fast forward in time. Jesus dies on the cross. He's in the tomb three days. He raises again. He starts to see different people proclaiming that he is no longer dead. He is truly alive. Peter does what he's familiar with. He gets some guys, gets a boat, goes fishing. 
And we see this incredible encounter between Jesus and his disciples and the, the net on one side, the net on the other side, and all this fish. And, G, and, and Peter cries out to the Lord and jumps into the water and swims onto the shore. And then we get this amazing moment in verses 15 through 18. Jesus and his disciples sitting around a coal fire, eating bread and fish together. And in the middle of the conversation, Peter, Jesus turns to Peter and says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus went after Peter in the midst of his brokenness and found him. Why? Well, Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him. After all, that's what he said just a couple hours later. (laughs) But he always knew. He always knew that Peter would be the one to deny him. He knew that before he called him to follow him. Don't miss that. Jesus knew Peter would make the mistakes. Yet Jesus stepped into Peter's brokenness and asked him a question. Peter, do you love me? He doesn't ask just once. He doesn't ask twice. But he asks three times. You see, in the midst of this interaction, Peter's threefold denial was met by Jesus' threefold restoration. Just imagine, right, the the last time that Peter was around a, a fire denying his Savior, and now his Savior is here, gently restoring him. It's a wonderful picture, beautiful picture. But I want us to take a a little bit of a step back, and I want us to see the broader scope of what's going on here. You see, at the very same moment that Peter was denying Jesus, Jesus was in the process of taking Peter's place. And while Peter was distancing himself from Jesus, Jesus was drawing himself near to Peter. And now Peter's defining moment would not be his denial of Jesus, but rather his restoration by Jesus. Oh, how beautiful it is for us to see how Jesus handles Peter's fall because we, brothers and sisters, are in need of the same restoration. In our brokenness, in our despair, 
We need Jesus to find us and to ask us, Corey, do you love me? I'm here to tell you that Jesus is very much still in the business of restoration. You can have that this morning. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we can be restored. We can be reconciled. We can be redeemed. We can no longer be dead, but we can be brought to life. We can no longer be far off. We can be brought near. We can no longer be broken, but we can be complete in Jesus And as I read this text this morning, I can't help but say thank you, Lord, that I'm like Peter. Insofar as I share in his brokenness, I can also share in his restoration. It's all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. Oh, how beautiful our Savior is. Did not leave us in our brokenness, but came to restore us. And so as we draw to a close in our time this morning, I want to lead us to a time of response by asking the question, how should we respond? How should we respond to this passage in the book of Matthew? Well, number one, I think it's pretty clear, we can come to Jesus. You see, we've all fallen short And we're all guilty of what Peter has done. We've relied on ourselves and because of our weakness, we've fallen into temptation. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in the middle of a sin struggle. Whether it be that you're caught up in a lie, financial misconduct, sexual immorality, slander, Division. Brothers and sisters, I want us to hear a glorious truth this morning. That although your sin is great, your Savior is greater. Although your sin is great, your Savior is greater. Don't buy into the lie that you can't bring your sin to Jesus. He's the only one who can deal with it. Why would we bring our sin to anyone but him? And whether you want to come to him for the first time because you've never confessed Jesus as Lord or you want to come to him for the hundredth time, I urge you to do so this morning. And during the next song that we're going to sing, I encourage you to come to these steps and to do what 1 John 1.9 tells us to do. And listen to the promise that it entails. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's not wavering. He's not wishy-washy. He's faithful. And he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this morning, come to Jesus because your brokenness doesn't surprise Jesus. He welcomes it. He says, come, come to me. 
But not only can we come to Jesus this morning, but we can celebrate our Savior. We can celebrate our Savior. You see, it's, it's tempting for us to view this passage in Matthew and to think, boy, I'm glad I'm not Peter. But it's far better for us to see how it displays the beauty of Jesus. Although Peter failed, Jesus didn't. Jesus was determined to do the will of his Father. And he died a sinner's death on a criminal's cross in our place, all because he loved us. Because of Jesus, your defining moment is no longer what you did. Your defining moment is now whose you are. The brokenness of Peter leads us to behold the beauty of Jesus. This is a sweet truth for us this morning, and it's something that we can celebrate together as we sing. And this morning, if, if you need to respond either by coming to Jesus or by celebrating your Savior in any other way, both myself and Pastor John will be here at the front. I'll be right over here by the organ. Pastor John will be right here by the piano. If you need counsel, if you need to talk to anyone, please come. Just like we said before the third song, these steps also are open for you to come and to pray and to pray together and to confess your sin before the Lord. Not that there's anything special about these steps, but the physical posture that we take allows us to mirror the spiritual posture it takes to be before the Lord, to be humble, to be broken over our sin. And as we sing this morning, I pray that you remember the beauty of your Savior, who though you were broken, did not leave you where you were, but he came so that you, being found in him, can be complete. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel, that while we were yet still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And now those who were far off can be brought near. Those who were enemies can now be known as children. And through your son Jesus, we have something beautiful that we can behold. Our Savior and our Lord. Lord, would you be with us this morning? God, I pray that as your spirit has been moving through the proclamation of your word, Father, I pray that you are drawing people to yourself. God, that, that this day people will cry out that Jesus is Lord. For it's in no other name under heaven that we can be saved. And Father, for those who are in the middle of a, a sin struggle, who are trying to rely on themselves and realizing just how weak they are. Father, I pray that by your spirit you would draw them here. Father, they would come to the one whose burden is easy. And they can find rest. Lord, would you be with us this morning? And I pray that our singing would be like a sweet aroma to your ears and that you would take pleasure in your people. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.